Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. You guys can have a quick seat. Can we thank these guys for leading us? Y'all are awesome. You know, um, this, uh, we've been in this series, as I mentioned up front, about uh, answering the question of why we gather. And so I think as we've been talking through that, looking at, we, the first week we talked about uh, biblical precedent for that. And then last week we looked at Matthew chapter 18 when Jesus calls us to gather where two or more are gathered in his name. And when Jesus talked talk to us about agreement. And so uh, this morning, what we're going to be discussing is worship. And I, I think that if most of us in this room, if we had any sort of, whether, whether you've been to church every, you know, in every season of your life, or you've never walked in church before this very mo- moment, that most of us would say we would have some sort of context and understanding of what the gathering looks like, right? You're going to come in. You're going to be seated on some sort of either chair or a pew or something. There's going to be something for you to sit on. We're all going to be facing one direction. We're going to have uh, worship and music. We're going to have a teaching and a message or maybe prayer. You're going to be asked to participate in some way, shape, or form. And we know somewhat how the formula goes. And, and one of those key components is worship and looking at worship. And, and so... For myself, as I've as getting into ministry, and as most of you know, um, I, I, I often tell people I backdoored my way into ministry. This wasn't the plan that I had for my life. This wasn't what was expected or even wanted. And, and I am so thankful that the Lord didn't listen to me because that's not where I'd be right now. But one of the things that's been the most um, for me in this journey and in, in stepping into church that has been one of the hardest things to understand is worship and what it looks like. And when Shay and I first got married, and and I've shared this in my testimony before, when Shay and I first got married and we began looking for a church, I I grew up in the church but had walked away in a lot of ways, but here I was and I was was married to this incredible person and she wanted me to, um, in her own words, be the spiritual leader of our family. And I did not know what that meant but she was beautiful, and she was, we were married, so I thought, I need to figure out how to do this. And so I thought, we need to go and get involved in a church. And so as we started looking for churches and trying to pray through and look at the right places to be, I, I would love to tell you that that decision and how we landed somewhere was very spiritual, that we prayed through it, that we tried to listen to God, but it was not. We, we went in with what a lot of people do. We went in with a consumer mindset. And we, made, we sat down and shade. we said, what do we care about? As we go into a church and we come in as a guest and we start looking at different churches, what are we looking for? And, and my thing, I was, I was like, oh, I want great teaching. I want someone that's a really strong uh, teacher. And more importantly in the teaching is I wanted someone that I felt like was authentic and genuine. Because I've been to a lot of churches and in my judgment I felt like, oh man, they're just faking or they're being, you know, hypocritical or whatever it is. So I wanted someone that was, that was really genuine. Shay said, all what my most important thing and all I care about is worship. And what is worship like in the church and the worship life in the church? And I was like, oh, I don't care about that. I could do whatever. I mean, we could sing songs, we could sing hymns, we could sing new. That doesn't matter to me. 
And uh, in my immaturity, I didn't realize how important that was. So getting into ministry has been, this has been one of the areas that I have grown the most in. To look at my life and say, what, what does worship look like? What, why, why is that important? What does that look like for me personally? What does that look like uh, for us on Sunday mornings as we gather? And why is that such a pivotal, if not the most pivotal part of what we do? And so uh, it's been a journey for sure. And, and I've loved uh, Gary Gall and he's coming in and leading our team. He's incredible. And he's been so patient and gracious to me um, as, as we've walked through that, as I've learned what worship is and what it's not. And so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and, and so just as a caveat, I say all that to say I feel really ill-equipped to stand before you and say that this is what worship is. This is what it should look like. This is how it should feel. This is why it's important. I, I don't feel worthy or equipped to be able to do that. And so we're going to turn to God's Word and not listen to me. So we're going to be this morning in Psalm, uh, in Psalm 100. So if you would, I would love for you to open your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, if you raise your hand, uh, Miss Martha can gra- uh, pass a Bible out. And I would love for you to read through this psalm with us, Psalm 100. And as she's passing that Bible out, as you're opening your um, copy of Scripture or pulling it up on your phone, I'll tell you this, is that I have, this is the first time that I've ever taught from a psalm, that I've ever done any sort of teaching or preaching from any of the 150 Psalms. And truthfully, I've avoided the book of Psalms on Sunday morning like the plague. And so, and that's not because I don't love them. It's because uh, I think if, you, if you've ever read through the Psalms before, and every Sunday I sit in here before we start our service at about 9.30, and I sit in these chairs as our worship team is finishing up their rehearsal, and I pray through a Psalm. Every Sunday I open it up and I pray through a psalm for the morning, but I've avoided teaching from it. And part of the reason and the heart of that is that it's so beautiful, that it's so, that the words and what is spoken and the words that are penned, they're complete in a lot of ways. And so I read through, I'll read through the psalms, I'll say, what could I possibly say to add to that? What could, what could I say? And there's, there's beauty and there's, there's poetry in it, and it's so deep, and it speaks to your heart and your soul. It's beyond just words of information. And so I've always avoided that because I think, how could I possibly, what is there a single word that I could say that I could add to these psalms? And I am a lover of the arts. I love music. I love poetry. I love art. But I am not someone who is artistic. And when I was in high school, I was the, um, I was the president of the art club which I think I, I probably ran as president of the art club um, unopposed. I don't think anyone else wanted to be president of the art club, but I did, and I loved art. Uh, and and um, so I, I was in the art club, I was president of the art club, but the thing was is I had no artistic part of my body. I couldn't paint, I can't sing, I have no musical talent. I've tried to write before, and I'll write something, I'll be like, that's terrible. That, that's, I'm, there's no way I'm ever reading this to anyone. And so I've never, I've never been someone that's artistic, but I've always been appreciative of it. And so that's one reason I love the Psalms. And that's one reason I've avoided ever teaching on the Psalms. But uh, nevertheless, we're going to look this morning at Psalm 100 and what it says about worship. I'm going to pray and, and we'll jump in. So, dear Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you that the words of the songs are true because your word says that they are. 
God, I pray for this time right now. God, I pray that you give us clarity and freedom when it comes to worship. As we open your word and look to what you say, Jesus. God, I pray for breakthrough for us as a body this morning. I pray as we read through this and as we close the pages of this book and we stand and worship you again, God, that it would be with a fresh perspective, God, that it would be with a, a new hunger. God, I pray that you would speak through these words to us and just as you do through the Psalms, God, that you would speak deep into our souls and our hearts. God, I pray for soft soil. I pray for those of us in this room this morning that may feel close off to that. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So Psalm 100, and we're going to read through the entire psalm, which sounds like a lot, but it's only five, um, five verses, and we've got it up here on the screen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it, and remember that the context of what we've been discussing is why do we gather? And so uh, I, I cannot stress enough how important your own personal worship life is, and that may sound new to you to think, do I live a life of worship? Do I practice worship regularly um, Monday through Saturday? But specifically for this morning, we're talking about when we come together as a body of Christ and worship together. And so I want you to think about that. So we're going to read through it, and we're going to just try to try to look at some truths and what uh, this psalm tells us about worship. So Psalm 100, um, and I'm reading from the ESV version, which I'll get to that in a minute. You guys know I typically don't. But Psalm 100 says this. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Blessed is his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Man, what a beautiful psalm written by David uh, about worship. And so as we get into this, the first thing I want you to understand and think about for us as a body and for us as a church, and the, the reason that we're gathering, is the first thing is that worship is inclusive. Worship is inclusive. If you, if you look right there in the first verse, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And as you read through scripture, you see this relationship between God and creation, between the creator and the creation, which we are a part of. And, and it is this inclusive scope of it. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a theme that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation about this idea of all the earth, giving praise and glory to God. Psalm 19 says this. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And you know that's true because you stood on a beach, or you stood uh, in the mountains and watched the sunset. You've driven home from work in the evening, and you've been, your, your breath has been taken away by the setting sun, right? And you think, man, that is incredible, and beautiful and gorgeous. And then you get your phone out and take a picture and put it on Instagram with everybody else. Revelation 5 says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. 
You see, even in Revelation, the end of Bible, as, as, as we look forward to what is going to come, what the future looks like, the Word says that every creature on heaven and earth, under the earth, in the sea, and all that's in them, is here to declare the glory of God. Um, and and, and we, we think about that, man, that, that it's not just about us. And Jesus is obviously clear about our relationship with him. But this idea that worship goes beyond us, and it's inclusive of things that are, that are outside of our scope. Isaiah 55 says, You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. It's easy to hear that scripture and hear those words and to think that it's, it's something that's being poetically overstated. That, that you can look in beauty and you can see the mountains or the trees. And it, it, it's, it's this idea that, that, these, that this is being spoken about in an overly poetic statement. But the truth is, is that you look out and you see a sunset. Or you stand in the mountains and you look out on a clear day on top of a mountain as far as you can see. And you tell me that there's not a God. And that, that's what I, I found so hard to understand about people who say that there is no God, there is no creation. You look at that. You look into the eyes of a newborn child and you say that there's no creator. And that blows my mind. And so this idea of worship being inclusive, and maybe inclusive is the wrong word. Maybe a more accurate word is that, that worship is broad, is broad. We have this tendency to, to, to get so narrow on what we think about God, on what we think worship looks like, on what we think is true about the Lord. And, and that what, what we end up doing is we end up narrowing our focus. And so what I think, this, what I, what I think is true about worship is it's beyond that. Um, that, that we can be so nitpicky when it, when it comes to worship. And I'm telling you, in my three and a half or four years that I've been doing this, the most feedback that I've ever gotten about any subject of all time in church is worship. Well, the music is too loud. And I didn't like this song. It needs to be more upbeat. It needs to be slower. It needs to be faster. It needs to be this way. It needs to be that. And we have so many opinions about worship. And we, we, what we end up doing is we narrowing our scope about, about what that looks like. But the truth is, as Scripture says, that, that we are to love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your body, with all your soul, with all your spirit. That worship is so much broader than we give it credit for. And so uh, there, there was, um, we were at Rad Week this past week, or this, this, this past month, and uh, Lindsay has a clip here. And so before I play this, I want to give you a context of this, is that as we struggle with those things, I, I asked the question as I started looking into this, why? Why do we struggle? Why do we get so narrow and nitpicky when it comes to worship? And this week as I read, uh, I read different articles on worship, and it, man, it was funny and, and very sad. So this one article I read was written by this guy. It says, why I don't sing in your church was the title of the article. Why I don't sing in this church. And then he, he continued on this article to talk about the theology of worship in, in the modern Christian church is so weak and shallow and that there's no depth and it's so repetitive. And, and I mean, it's just this, this attitude and the spirit of, of criticism. And then, then uh, funny enough, he linked another one of his articles in the same one that says, why I don't attend your seeker-friendly church. 
anymore. I thought, I'm not even going to read that. I get your point. You're upset. You're critical. There's something wrong. But he went in in this article to talk about, like, you know, the theology and worship, and it needs to look like this, and you're not singing these words, or you're repeating too much, or it's too shallow. He says, you know, these are songs. They had the depth of the songs that I sang as a kid. And it broke my heart for this guy. It was right in this article. I think, man, you're, you're missing it. Is that it's so much broader than that as we come in with this heart that's critical and, and we think that it's got to be this certain way, it's got to be this certain sound of worship. And so during Rad Week, uh, I, I'll let you play this video and I'll, I'll talk about it real quick. And this is of Scott Marshall and, and uh, Jack Ballard during worship at Rad Week. Lindsay, if you play that. Now, yeah. I see this worship, and I, I hear this criticism about, well, the theology, and, and I look at this video, and I think, you know what you can do with your theology of worship? You look at that, and you tell me that that's not worshipful. You tell me that there's anything that doesn't bring more joy and, and honor and worship to the Lord than that right there. That is powerful. And the song that they're worshiping to is the power shuffle. It's basically a total ripoff of uh, the Cupid shuffle, but in Christianese. But it's beautiful. I mean, you look at that and you think, you tell me how this is too simple for you. You tell me how, how well, the worship song, that's too much or it's too fast or it didn't do this. And you tell me that that is not bringing more glory and honor and love to the Lord. And so I, I want us to think about this idea that worship is so much broader than we often think about. And it's inclusive. That what the Word of God says is it says the mountains will cry out in worship. It says the trees will clap for his name. It says that every creature on heaven, in earth, in the sea, and below the earth, worms in the ground will sing of his praise and glory. And that blows my mind when I hear it. And it makes me feel, it makes me feel so small, but a part of something so much greater. And so the first thing I want us to think about is the inclusivity of worship. The second thing that this, that this psalm says, um, and it points out several times, is that worship is gratitude. Worship is not only inclusive, worship is gratitude, and is gratitude. And if you had to sum up the Psalms with one word, all 150 of them, in one word, it, the, the word would probably be gratitude. It would probably be gratitude. It says it three times here. In verse 2, it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Verse 4, again, says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, and blessed be his name. And, and three different times in this psalm, David writes about the idea of gratitude. And not only is gratitude a part of worship, but what David says here is that gratitude is the start of worship. As he paints his pictures, and there's not a lot of, you know, we, we, like to, we like to get into rules and this is what we should do. And there's not a lot of rules in Scripture about things. But one thing is clear here is that David says that, that worship is to start is to begin with thanksgiving and with gratitude and with gladness. And if you look back, and we talked a couple weeks ago about Solomon and, and the specifications with which he built the temple uh, and, and, and how it was designed and laid out. And, and I want you to think about this idea of worship being for a king, right? If Jesus is our king, if we gather in his name to worship him as our king. I want you to think about this idea in this, uh, of this kingdom 
as you walk up to this castle, the first thing that you've got to get through is what? It's the gate. And it's the same thing in, in, in the way that the temple was laid out. And the word says to enter his, thanks with, his gate with thanksgiving, that that's the start of worship. That as we walk in here on Sunday morning, as we pull into the parking lot, it's with a spirit of thanksgiving and a spirit of gratitude and gladness for what he's done. Um, you know, this uh, last Sunday, uh, Gary took uh, two other, um, Jessica and Jacob and the three of them from our worship team, went down to Gatesville. And, and you guys, if you know much, Gary's been doing and being involved in this prison ministry uh, that serves in these women's prisons uh, in Texas. And so they went last Sunday uh, to Gatesville to, um, to lead worship for their Sunday service. And he's done this, you know, several occasions. And so Gary, Jacob, and Jessica went. And he said that as they got there, that there was a, it was a new prison, or they weren't sure there was some sort of problem. So they were bouncing around from entrance to entrance to get into the prison. So they would go in, and, you know, there's security and all that. And they said, no, this isn't the right entrance. You've got to go to the west entrance. So they'd lug all their equipment, get back in their car, drive around the west entrance, say, we're here for worship. Like, no, nah, you can't come in here. You got to go to the south entrance. So they get down. So finally, and they, he said that they had a moment where they felt like, we're not going to get in. We're not going to make it in. There's too many problems. Somebody hasn't communicated properly. So they finally get in, and they let them in. And so they walk into this room where they're having church, and they're waiting on them. And as they were bouncing around this prison, the women were inside watching them do this dance. So they saw Gary and Jessica and Jacob try to come in and load up and come around and try to come in. And, And Gary said that when they walked into the room with their equipment to lead worship, he said it erupted in cheer. That people are standing and clapping and cheering. And no offense, Gary, you guys are, and Jessica and Jacob, you are incredible musicians, but they weren't clapping for you. They're not, they're not cheering for you. They're cheering for the Lord. That's what it looks like to enter his gates with thanksgiving. And that's what his word says. And worship music in general can take, uh, has, especially in the past 10 years, has taken this melancholy, melancholy tone that worship has become more melancholy, more slow, more downtrodden, that, that more feels that it's wrapped in sadness. And the truth is, is I just don't see that in Scripture. That I look at his word, and I look at this psalm, shout for the joy to the Lord of all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his court with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And I don't see where scriptures point to this melancholy, sad tone of worship. And, and um, it's, it's almost as if we, we get into worship time sometimes and it's like we're singing the blues. We get up here and we sing these songs. It's like we're singing the blues about how sorrowful and sad or the, 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 the plight of our existence is. And we come in downtrodden with long face. And I just don't see that in Scripture. Psalm 98, and you, you can probably, if you've got your word, the, the, the Bible open, it's just two Psalms back. It says this in verse 4. It says, um, it says, burst into jubilant song. It says, shout for, the, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. And I love that idea that, that our worship is to be this, to be like bursting into a jubilant song. 
And you know, it's funny because I, uh, like Jacob Gonzalez, he, he is on our worship team, he does such a wonderful job. He's a super talented musician, you know, and he, he and I, we, we meet every, I don't know, every few weeks and just connect and we always talk about worship. And, you know, he's talked to me about how for him to play his guitar is worship, to pluck the strings of his guitar is to worship God with that. And it's still this idea of being broad, but it's this idea and the spirit of being glad. Now, let me give you a caveat is there's a loophole. There's a loophole in that because the truth is, is that we don't always feel joyful. That there are many of us in this very moment that are walking in here without a spirit of gladness. That we aren't thankful that the circumstances of what's going on in our life don't feel that way. And I want you to know that that is okay. That that is okay. That there's some of us that are hurting, we're broken, we're hopeless for what's going on in our life. And Scripture gives precedent for that. Even Jesus Christ himself, uh, when he sees Mary and Martha after Lazarus has died, he weeps. Right? Scripture talks about weeping and wailing and mourning. And there are seasons and circumstances that cause that. And you are off the hook if that is you. And that is not what I'm talking about when we, about this idea of coming in with a long face. Life is difficult, and there are times that we need to come in here and be in the presence of the Lord, and we don't need to open our mouth. We don't need to stand, that we can be broken, we can be hurting, and we can be in the presence of God, and that is okay. The only thing worse than coming in with, coming in with, a, with a long face or this, this melancholy spirit as we worship the Lord is to fake it. That's the only thing that's, that's, that's worse than that. And so I want you to know that there is freedom for that as we gather on Sunday and as we worship, that there is no rules about that you've got to behave in a certain way. But our spirit and our, our, as we come together as a church, it is, it is with gladness and thanksgiving and joy. The next thing that this, this psalm tells us in verse 2, it says that it's this idea that worship is serving. Not only is worship inclusive, and worship a spirit of gratitude, but worship is serving. Verse two says, serve the Lord with gladness. And uh, I mentioned this before, but if you, if you guys uh, are part of our church, you know that I do not read from the ESV Bible. Uh, I read from the NIV. And um, everyone who's smarter than me makes fun of me for that. But it's the, the copy of scripture that I've, I've always read from. But the reason is, and, and I've talked to y'all about, about translation and why it's important to try to really dig in and figure out what, what's the heart and what, is the, what does the word really mean, is that in my translation, verse 2 says, worship the Lord with gladness. But the actual translation says to serve the Lord with gladness. But it's in the context of worship. And this is a great example where translations can sometimes get funky because Psalm 100 is about worship but it's specifically David writes about serving the Lord with gladness. And this goes back to this idea of Jesus being a king and us being prepared to worship the king. And that's what, it, that's what serving looks like, is that as you, and we talked about this two weeks ago, as, you, as we come into Sunday mornings, we're intentional about what we do, that we are prepared, that we bring our best before him. Um, and it's as, if, it's as if we are getting prepared for a guest of honor that we are the loyal subject and the king is coming. And so when we come on Sunday morning, serving is a part of worship. 
And I know that it doesn't always feel that way. That if you're here early and you're setting up pipe and drape or unloading the trailer or putting chairs out and it's raining on you and literally Russ Robinson is, our, our truck wouldn't start this morning. Rats chewed through all these wires in our truck and so Russ is going to AutoZone or wherever. There's not a lot about that that feels worshipful. But I want you to know, I want you to know that when we worship and when we serve, it is with the spirit of worship. It's not to come in begrudgingly. And as God comes in, as we make preparations to host our king in this room, it's with excitement. It's with gladness. It's with joy. The next thing is that Psalm 100 says is that worship is knowing. Now, I love this. In verse 3, it says, "Love," or it says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who makes us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. And I love this idea of knowing being a part of worship, knowing who God is. And um, that, that I've, I've, as, if I've ever shared my testimony with you before, I, I was raised in the church. I was raised in the Methodist church. And I always say, I knew, I knew Jesus like I knew Abraham Lincoln. I believed in Abraham Lincoln. I believed that Abraham Lincoln was real, that he existed, that he did these things in his life. I know information about him. I know he's the 16th president. He was from Chicago, right? He helped free our country from slavery. I know all those things about Abraham Lincoln, but do I know Abraham Lincoln? No. I do not have a personal relationship with the 16th president. And I thought about that a lot of the same way about Jesus Christ that I was raised in the church, I knew a lot of information about Jesus. I believed they were true. I believed that he was who he says he was. I believed that he did, who he, he did those things that were said about him, but I did not have a relationship with him. And so this idea of worship being this idea of knowing is engaging our mind that, that I find myself amazed the more I dig in the scripture, the more I know about the Lord, the more I fall in love with him. Um, it's, it's, it's like your relationship with your spouse is that the more you get to know them, the longer you're with them, the longer you have a relationship, the more you know about who they are. And you can, you know, as you're, as you're dating them or you're engaged or whatever it might be, you do, you begin to know them and you know lots of information about them, but it's not until you are living together and doing life together. And Shana had been married for 14 years and there's lots of things that she knows about me, not because she got an information sheet when we started dating. There's a lot of things that she knows about me because she's lived with me and she's argued with me and she's raised children with me and we've done life together. And that's the same thing about the more that we know about Jesus, that that's important. So I want to encourage you this morning that if you don't have a copy of Scripture, to take this Bible home with you and to read and to, to begin a relationship with Jesus, not just to read for information. And um, there's times that I will pre- I'll be preparing for a message on Sunday morning, and I'm amazed at what I'm reading, that, that I can't write fast. I'm like, this is incredible that God is bringing revelation to my heart as I dig in deep with him. And, and there, there are times that, you know, I'm laying in bed at night and I can fall asleep in, a, in the drop of a hat. Or as we get in bed and Shay works or she reads or she'll watch TV and none of that distracts me. She can have the light on, I can fall asleep instantly. And there are times that if I've, if I've been reading uh, or I've been with the Lord before bed, that Shay will say, hey, you're, you, were, uh, you were pray dreaming again. 
And it's like I'm asleep next to her in bed, and it's like I'm praying. And generally, it's prayers of thanksgiving. I'm mumbling my saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And there are these moments that she says, like, you're, 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 you're dreaming through this prayer. And it comes from knowing God. And the last thing I want to say, and the last thing I think Psalm 100 points to, is that worship is love. In verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. I want you to listen to me carefully. The gospel is a story of love. If you strip all of this down and you, you boil it all down to one thing, it is a story about God's love for his people. And the gospel is about a story of a relationship of love that we have with God. And that the heart of worship, the heart of when we stand and we sing and we gather in his name is for love. It's our love for Christ. And oftentimes that pushes us to uncomfortable places. And if you think about uh, as Reed and Micah are are having their first child, there's going to come this moment where Reed becomes a father for the first time, he's going to look at this innocent, beautiful, incredible baby, and it's going to be uncomfortable for him. And you've seen a brand new dad hold a new baby. It's like they're holding a ticking time bomb. They're like creeping around, so careful. You know, there's that scene in the office where Michael Scott's holding the, um, the car seat with the baby in it, right? That's this awkward, uncomfortable, new dad love. And Reed's going to do that. We're all going to laugh at him. We're going to be able to look at this guy. He's going to carry it like it's this, it's this careful, ticking time bomb. But the truth is, is that Reed is going to love that child like he's never, it's, it's going to be love that he's never experienced before. But it is uncomfortable in a way that he's, he's carrying this thing that's so fragile and so delicate and this relationship and love that he has is so new that it's going to push on his comforts. It's the same way about, you know, somewhere Jessica Jongo is getting married this afternoon. It's the same thing as when a, when a husband and wife begin a relationship and they're married. They, they now have begun this relationship of love. And it's, a, it's now become a physical relationship and love. And here are two people that are in their 20s that are both learning how to love one another physically in ways that they never have before. And that's awkward and uncomfortable. And it's, you're figuring it out is that when we love, it pushes on our comforts. And, and so often, uh, and I've been convicted about it this week, as Gary and I talk each week about our services on Sunday, um, yeah, I look and I pray through the songs and I listen and I always get a little antsy when Gary's got new songs that he's got playing. I'm like, well, I don't know that song and I don't know the words and I'm going to listen to them beforehand. Are you sure that's going to be okay? Why? It's because what I want is I want to be comfortable. Is what I desire is I desire comfort. But love and our relationship with how we love God and how he loves us is not always comfortable and it's going to push on us. I've been, I just finished this past week uh, this book called Chasing Francis. Has anyone ever read this book? Raise your hand if you've ever read this book. Martha and Linda, who are the two people that gave me this book. I could not recommend this book enough. It's incredible. It's about, it's, it reads like a fable, but it's about this pastor that loses his faith uh, and, and goes to Italy to essentially on this pilgrimage to chase Francis. It's a beautiful story. 
And it, it just pushes on all the things that you know church to be. And I could not recommend this enough. And there's a, there's a passage. I'm going to ruin some of the end, so sorry. Uh, there's a passage towards the end uh, where he's at the end of his pilgrimage, and, and he's going and he's learning and reading about St. Francis of Assisi. And it's, it's his last few days before he has to come back to this church that he's left wondering what's going to happen. That he's been on this sabbatical that a lot of it, he struggled with who he is and lost his faith. And it's days before he came back. And this woman in this, uh, in this friar, she takes him to serve in, in the, the, he, the, the impoverished people of Italy. And she takes him to this house that houses uh, men that are dying of HIV. And so they go into this house, and, and uh, it just pushes on all his comfort zones. It just closes in on him. And she takes him up to this room, and his wife is doing one thing, or his, this, this girl he's with is doing one thing. And she takes him up to this room, and this woman tells him, she says, this nun says to him, she says, I need you to help me bathe this man. There's a man that's dying. They go into this room, and there's this man that's lying on this bed dying of HIV. And she says, we need to bathe him. And everything in him tells him to run. It pushes on all his buttons and his comfort zone. And so I want to read a portion of this to you. It says this. It says, my heart was beating like a drum against my ribcage. Just at the idea of giving this man a bath, I scrambled for a reason why I couldn't possibly help, but I wasn't fast enough. Angelina took my hand, and Angelina is the nun, took my hand, and we went into a room where a young man lay on a bed, staring blankly at the ceiling. Bonjour, Amadeo, Angela said. I've brought a friend today. Angelina removed the blanket that covered Amadeo's body. He was a naked, stick, mute, his almond-shaped eyes filled with pitiable mixture of panic and confusion. His placid skin hung flaccidly. He must have been six feet tall once, but now surely weighed less than 100 pounds. I felt a rush of both shame, shock, and sadness. I looked at Angelina for help, and she smiled at me, reassuring. Let's put Amadeo in the tub, she asked, as she repeated in Italian so that he and I would both know what we were doing next. Angelina dipped her hands into the water to make sure it was the right temperature. While we lifted Amadeo, I tenderly placed my hands under his shoulder blades. They felt like sharp-edged clamshells, cruelly implanted into his upper back. I was afraid his skin would tear like tissue in my grip. The bones of his pelvis stuck through his skin like six guns in flesh holsters. So they put him into the water, and he begins to wash this man that's dying of AIDS. And he says this, as I pushed against my revulsion and plunged the sponge beneath the water, I thought, of it, I thought of it again, but refused its invitation to hold back. I passed through a border into the depths and found that I could still breathe there. My terror and embarrassment was replaced by peace, edging towards sublime joy. And man, you think about that. And I want you to know that in our relationship of love with Jesus Christ makes us uncomfortable. And he is going to push you and challenge you beyond your comfort zone. And there is going to be a moment where, like this man said, where you can pull back and refuse 
or there's a moment that you can lean into that. I think about Scott and Jackson worshiping together in that video and think about what does it look like to push beyond what I'm used to, push beyond where I'm comfortable. And so I'm gonna invite the worship team back up and we're gonna close with worship this morning. And I wanna challenge you guys of a few things. The first is this. I wanna challenge you this morning and, and have you think about as you walk away. The first is to know God's love language. I don't know if you've ever heard this idea of what your love language is. I hate it when people say that to me. People say, oh, well, Jake, what's your love language? I'm like, I don't know. They're like, is it, is it uh, acts of service? I'm like, yeah. What about, uh, what about physical touch? I'm like, yeah. What about words of affirmation? Yeah, that too. I'm all the love languages. But the truth is, is this idea of God's love language is clearly laid out in Scripture that God tells us how we are to love him. He tells us that we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving. We are to enter his courts with praise. That we are to worship him with gladness and sincerity. And I'm telling you, it's going to push you beyond where you are. The second thing is to get uncomfortable. Comfort is the enemy. Make no mistakes. If you desire to have a comfortable relationship with Jesus Christ, that is not of the Lord. As long as you're pursuing him, as long as you're getting to know him more, he is going to grow and push you to things that are going to push on your comfort zones. So I want to encourage you to lean into that, that when we push against our boundaries, that's where breakthrough occurs. That's where growth happens. And the last is this, is to come hungry. I want you to think about if we walk in here on Sunday morning and we are truly gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ and he is in our midst in this very moment, what does that mean for you? Are you hungry? You think about someone that is starving to death. They do not turn away a meal. I don't care if they like beans and rice or whatever you're serving them. They do not turn their nose away at a meal. When, I put, when, we, when we, our kids at dinner, we struggle with trying to feed them and trying to get them to eat healthy. And they know in their mind, I don't have to eat dinner tonight because tomorrow morning means cereal and pancakes are coming and I can make it through the night. And we so often have that mindset of it with, with the Lord. Is that I want you to ask yourself, if you come in here right now, are you hungry? Are you starving for the Lord? and worship with the spirit of hunger and truth, that it's just like as these guys walked in the gates when these women erupted with joy, is that our hearts? Let's stand, let's pray, and we are gonna worship. Dear Jesus, I thank you for Psalm 100. God, I thank you for the challenge of us. I thank you that you give us context about how we are to worship you. God, I pray that you move every one of us this morning into what is uncomfortable. God, I pray that we would lean into things that aren't normal for us. God, I pray that you would give us breakthrough this morning, not in these words or this message, but in this time of worship. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.